Well, again, it is good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. The lesson for this morning is one that I've had in my files for a while, and I decided to pull it out. I thought it would be appropriate for today. It's entitled, The Power of One. You know, we look around us, and certainly as we look at the world, we see that there are a great many people in it. When we look around us at the church, we see there are a great many people in it. And when we look at anything, really, we kind of wonder. I think we have a tendency to be curious. Do we really make a difference in anyone's life? I remember we did a project in one of my classes in high school. And that was the theme of my project. Uh, we were supposed to make these books for... Uh, we had a nursery school program in Oakland High School. And uh, I thought that was pretty neat. That was one of my favorite classes I've ever had. And uh, so we actually got to deal with kids, but we had a, a part of that class where we weren't dealing with kids. And toward the end of the year, we were to make a book, and that was the theme of my book. Have I really made a difference? And so just looking at all the things that, that I did with those kids, did it make a difference in their lives? We have a tendency to think that way. And we wonder, can one person really, truly, make a difference in any of the things that we're doing? Can one person really make a difference? When we look at the influences that we have had in our own lives, maybe it's in a friend or a family member, maybe it's a co-worker or a schoolmate, maybe a boss or a leader of some type, maybe it's even with fellow Christians, and we can think of many people maybe, or maybe even just a few people that were of great influence in our lives. Maybe there are people that are no longer with us and yet they've had some kind of an influence, some kind of an impact in our lives. I think whenever we look at these people, we see those that have had Maybe a positive influence. Maybe we see those that have had a negative influence. But do you ever think of the influence that you can be on those around you? When you think of the impact that you're having on other people's lives, are you a positive influence? You know, in recent weeks, we have discussed the good influences that we should use to mold us into the people that we want to be. But today we're going to turn the tables a little bit and focus on the power of our influence on those around us. I want to look at several scriptures today. We're going to look at several different places Several different people who were an influence one way or the other. But first of all, let's notice when one mattered. And for those of you who are visiting with us in your bulletin, there are sermon notes if you'd like to follow along uh, with the sermon. But when one mattered. You know, out of the countless millions, billions, trillions of people in the world we have that tendency to think 
Am I really that important? Would I even be missed if I weren't here? And has one person ever truly made a difference? And I think, especially as we look at current events, I think we see some instances where one person seemed to matter. Or maybe one person didn't seem to matter. Depends on how you look at it. But we look at the election especially. When we look at uh, the election that we had recently. There's a lot of negativity in this past election. Maybe a lot more negativity in this one than any other election that we've had previously. And as you look at the person that you voted for. Was your choice made based on making your vote count? Not wasting it. I've heard many people that, that would say that if you didn't vote for uh, one of two candidates, then your vote was basically wasted. Did you choose not to vote because to you maybe it didn't matter? Maybe it didn't seem to matter at all? And even of those that voted, I think there were many people that wondered, does my vote even matter in the first place? When we look at what's happened even over this weekend, when we look at the Women's March on Washington and in other places as well, whether you agree with it or not, I think the main principle is that there are people that want their voice to be heard. They want to know that someone is listening to what they have to say. I want to look at some instances in the Bible that tell us that one person mattered. Let's look first of all at when one mattered to another. When one person's life and existence truly mattered to another individual. If you're keeping up with the Bible reading in the last couple of days, this is part of it. Genesis chapter 29. And in Genesis chapter 29, we read of a man named Jacob. And we read of a woman that he had set his eyes on. Someone that he cared for deeply. Someone that truly mattered to him. Rachel. How much did Rachel actually matter to Jacob? Let's read from Genesis 29, starting with verse 15. And we'll read through verse 30. Genesis 29, beginning with verse 15. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you 
and that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob stay, or served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. (coughs) Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went in to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Rachel mattered enough that the years that Jacob worked for her seemed as only days. She mattered enough that he worked for another seven years for her after receiving Leah as his wife instead. Some may think, well, Jacob may have deserved some of the deception that he received considering the life that he lived, some of the ways that that he acted toward other individuals such as his brother Esau. But either way, he was willing to serve his time. He worked for Laban 14 years before he got what he truly wanted. The one wife that he truly wanted was Rachel. He finally received her. But she mattered to Jacob a great deal. How much did Bathsheba matter to David? Or how much did she matter to Uriah, who was her husband? I want to read a passage from 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is not the exact instance of what happened, but it's a parable of sorts. It's a story that gives David the idea of really what he has done here in taking Bathsheba in the way that he did. And we know the story. Uh, going back to chapter 11, David went out on his roof. He, he had idle time. And he went out on his roof and he saw a woman bathing. And he inquired about her. He found out that she was the wife of another man. And yet he called for her. And she came. In the process of time, Bathsheba conceived a child. 
and to deal with what had happened to make sure that that he wasn't implicated in doing anything wrong. He brought her husband Uriah in from battle. And he tried to get him to go home and Uriah wouldn't do it so he put him on the front line of battle. And Uriah was killed. And to help David realize the wrong that he had done, we have this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And in verse 5 it says that David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. David, when he heard the story, realized the wrong that had been done, but he couldn't see it in his own life. He comes to find out. He's the man that has done this. He's the one that is deserving of death. Did David not have other wives already when he saw Bathsheba? And yet he still wanted her. What he had wasn't good enough. He wanted what was somebody else's. And when we look at Uriah, we have sympathy on him for what happened to him. What he didn't even realize that happened to him. But how many wives did Uriah have? He had one. And I can imagine that that one wife mattered a great deal to Uriah. Don't mistake his not going home for not loving his wife. But he also loved his king. And he also loved his country. He also had a great deal of care for the men that he served with. But I do believe that Bathsheba meant a great deal to Uriah. And that's why David had to have him killed to hide his secret. One mattered a great deal in these instances. Let's look at some more. Let's look at when one mattered for the better. 
when one had a great deal of influence on the life of another for the better. There are some that we find in scriptures that truly made a difference for God. Turn with, with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 verses 11 through 19. Luke 17 beginning with verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he, Jesus, entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were a mixed race of people. They were hated in the eyes of the Jews. And this man that glorified God, we're told here he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? And where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Of ten lepers, only one only one returned to give thanks for the healing that he had received. Did one matter here? Turn to Luke 21. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Luke 21 beginning with verse 1. And he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Two mites. It wasn't a lot of money by any means. And yet even looking at the rich and how they had given their great amounts of money to the treasury and to the Lord's service. Even looking at the rich and comparing them with what this widow gave. She was of great importance because she gave all that she had. She mattered to God. We also see examples of those that have made a difference for others. In the story of the Good Samaritan that we find in Luke chapter 10, we see that there was a man that was beaten and robbed. <coughs> 
and left for dead. There was a priest and a Levite that both saw him. And yet, what did they do? They passed by on the other side. A Samaritan. A single Samaritan. Remember that the Samaritans are a hated group of people. At least in the eyes of the Jews. But this Samaritan, he saw the man. He stopped and cared for him. To the victim in this story, the one Samaritan was the difference between life and death. One mattered. We also can choose to be one has had a positive impact on the lives of other people. On the other hand, we can choose to be a negative influence in their lives as well. Let's notice when one mattered for the worse. Let's look at Jezebel. She was the wife of Ahab, king of Israel. We understand from the scriptures in the Old Testament that she was an evil influence on Ahab and all those around him. She encouraged him to do evil. Her negative influence, as a matter of fact, was later used to describe another group of evil people. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 I want to look at verses 18 through 23. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we read of seven letters that are written to different churches, different congregations of the Lord's church. And in these letters, these congregations were told what they were doing right, they were told what they were doing wrong. And this is the letter that is written to the church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and has feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. I don't believe that in Revelation we're talking about literally the Jezebel of the Old Testament. 
But her influence was used as an example here to show the church what they were doing wrong. Her influence is remembered even today. Even though she's been gone for a long, long time, we still remember Jezebel. How many baby girls have you ever seen that are given the name Jezebel? There's a reason for that. Very seldom do we ever see that name because most people understand the evil that she represented. They refuse to give their child a name such as hers. Let's notice Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve apostles. His betrayal led to Jesus' trial and ultimately his crucifixion. His influence also is remembered even today, but not for the good that he had done. Have you ever thought about the good of Judas Iscariot? You know, we're not told very much about Judas with the exception of him being mentioned as a betrayer of Jesus. And we know very well what he did in his betrayal. But have you ever thought about the good that must have been in his life. First of all, he was chosen as one of the twelve apostles. And being an apostle, I can imagine that he had to have taught people about Jesus Christ. I imagine that he had to have led some souls to Christ to become Christians. As a matter of fact, among the twelve, he had been chosen, he had been entrusted with the money, chosen as their treasurer. That was a special something that he was given as his responsibility. Not all the apostles had. And of all the good that he must have done, he's only remembered as the betrayer as he's so often called. You think he made a difference in the process of time? Absolutely. We remember him. And again, how many children do you see with the name Judas? Very few. Though one may wish above all to be remembered, our desire should not be remembrance for a life of inflicting hurt and pain as those we've mentioned here. How important is your influence on the world around you? When we pass from this life, most of us want to be remembered. You know, there's a song that's not in our songbook, but one that we used to sing as I was growing up. What shall I leave behind? After I leave for worlds unknown over the borderline. Will I be missed by those I love? What will I leave behind? We all want to leave behind something to be remembered by. We all want to leave some kind of a legacy 
We want to know that our lives are important. I think we'd rather be remembered for the good that we have done than for the evil. How important is your influence on the church? Are you living a life of faithfulness to God? Are you living faithfully in your worship and service? Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to notice verses 19 through 25. We have a tendency to single out one or two verses from this passage. But I want to read the context that surrounds them. Hebrews 10 beginning with verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Our desire in regard to our worship should be, as it said in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We should have a desire to draw near to God draw near to His Son. We need to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. We need to hold fast those things that we believe. Christ, we believe that He came to die for us. We believe that He was resurrected. We believe that we too can be resurrected. That is our hope. We confess this hope as part of the plan of salvation, as part of becoming a Christian. We confess that we believe these things to be so. Hold fast to those things that you have confessed. Hold fast to that hope that you have without wavering. And above all, we are to consider one another. You know, our worship is not just about us. And I think we have a tendency, especially... In the world that, that we have been raised in. Just looking at the last few years and all the different churches that have been created. We see that there's a, a common thought. That we need to do what is best for me. This is what I think is right. This is what I think God would be pleased with. This is what I know. Let us consider one another. 
Our reason for worship is not to serve me. It's not only to make sure that my life and my heart are right with God. My worship is about other people too. Our worship is about congregation that we worship with as well. You see, we gather for the purpose of edification. Half of our worship is for the purpose of edification. You know, think of the singing that we do. That's to build up each other. To encourage one another with messages that help to, to encourage the soul. To give comfort. Messages of importance. Messages of repentance. Messages of invitation. That's edification. <clears throat> we think of the sermons that are preached. That's for the purpose of edification. Remembering the Lord's Supper. Remembering what Christ did. That builds us up. We gather around the table together to remember His death. Those things are important. So when we gather to worship, no, it's not just about me. It's not just about God, but it's those that are around me. Because you see, when I'm not here, I believe that I'm missed. When I'm not here, I believe that there's someone that is looking at that kind of an example. And, and I know that there are reasons that we're not here. Maybe it's because of sickness or maybe some kind of disease, something that keeps us from being here. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is missing for purposes other than sickness, other than illness, other than a job that we, we have to be at. When you're just not here, just not to be here. I believe it's noticed. I believe it's important to the church that we are here so that we can stir up love and good works. How can you consider those around you and not be in attendance? Our purpose is to draw near to God. Our purpose is to hold fast to the things that we believe. Our purpose is to encourage one another. Are you faithful in your life? Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. A couple of my favorite verses. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Is your life a sacrifice to God? Is your life a sacrifice a faithfulness to Him? And what about your influence on others? Is it what it should be? Go back to our scripture reading for this morning. Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be measured or seasoned? 
It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Is your light shining? Is your light shining for those who need to see it? For those that are living in darkness, those that need to be shown the way. How important is one soul to God? Turn to Luke 15. This will be the last passage that we read. Luke 15. Let's notice verses 4 through 7. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on his shoulders re- rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Skip to verse 11. Luke 15 verse 11. And here we read about the prodigal son. Then he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there washed, wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. How important is one soul to God? So important that of 99 sheep, the shepherd left them to find the one that had been astray. And we're told that there is much rejoicing in heaven over one lost soul who repents. And in the parable of the prodigal son, we see a son that, that left his home. He took his inheritance, he wasted it on riotous living. Spent all that he had and he began to be in want. And he decided to come home. Even as a servant in his father's household, he would be better off than what he was at that point. And I love the reaction of the father. Because the father, he wasn't Working, He wasn't working in the household whenever the son came back. What was he doing? He was watching for him. He was waiting. And it says that when the father saw the son coming back, he didn't just walk. 
He didn't take a leisurely walk to his son to meet him. But I think there's some significance here in that last line of verse 20. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Why did he run? Because he was anxious to see his son. Because even that one son, even though he had one son that was still within the house, that one that had wandered away was important to his father. And so we realize that we too are important to God. Your soul is important to God. Your service is important to God. It's important to other people. Yes, one soul is very important in the eyes of God. I know my sermon went a little longer today than it usually does, and I appreciate your patience. We come to the point in our service where we offer an invitation. And we do this not because it's tradition, not just because we're told to extend this invitation. It's an open invitation at all times. We do so because we want to make sure that your heart and life are right with God. If you've not become a Christian, if you've not done those things that the Bible tells us that we need to do, by faith, leading to obedience, uh, leading to repentance, confession, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and leading to baptism for the remission of sins, if you've not done those things, we give you the opportunity to, to take care of that need in your life. But if you've done those things and you need to come back to God, you need to come back to His family. If you simply need prayer on your behalf or if you need to ask for forgiveness for something that you've done, if you have a need to return to God, we give you the opportunity to take care of that need in your life as well. But if you need to come in obedience or repentance, whatever your need is, please do so. As together we stand and as we sing.